Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello and welcome to Lux Digital Church. My name is Mark and I'm the pastor here at Lux and we're so excited to have you with us, especially if you're here for the first time. We're so honored and it's such a privilege to have you here with us. No matter where you are in life and what's going on today, we just want you to know that we're glad that you're here. And if you're here with us for the first time live, we're exceptionally excited to have you here because you decided on a Wednesday night to come and hang out with us, or if you're from somewhere else in the world, maybe it's a Thursday morning even, we just want you to know that we're glad that you're here. And if you're listening later on, either on YouTube or to Avod or even to our podcast, we want to invite you to come to church with us on Wednesday night. It's great that you're getting plugged in to church on a weekly basis through the VOD or through a post-show opportunity, but it's really awesome to be able to have you here in chat with us. And so I want to say thank you to every person who decided to show up tonight. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here live. Thank you for participating in chat. Thank you for being part of our church community. Right now, we are wrapping up what has been a six-week series and our second ever series here at Lux. We've been talking about something called Overrated, where we've been examining and looking at some of the various elements of the American dream. And we've been asking a pretty essential question of each part. And that is we're looking at them and saying, is this really all it was meant to be? Is it is it really as good as people say it is? Is this really the way that we were meant to live? We can't help but thinking that even people with the most money and the most things end up being unhappy or discontent. So is there something better that we can pursue in life? And through that, we've been looking directly at various passages of scripture from really all around the Bible. And we've been examining a lot of the countercultural teachings of Jesus. Through the first series here at Lux, we dove in. If you've missed it, you can go back and watch it on YouTube. We dove into sort of our mental space and preparing our minds to just get into a healthy place, to overcome the lies that we were facing, and to prepare ourselves to really hear from the Word of God. And then we dove into the series called Overrated, and in it, we've examined a lot of different elements of life. We've looked at the concept of a contentment. We've looked at the concept of pleasure. We've looked at happiness and um, we've looked at possessions and we've looked at uh, feeling secure. And we've asked these essential questions. Is this really all that there is? Is there something more to life than what our culture and Western world might say that there is? And not that there's been anything bad about any of these things, because the Bible actually confirms that many of the things that we desire are good things. But the question is, are there better things? Are these things maybe overrated. And we've had one simple statement that has driven and connected every single message in the series. And here at Lux, we have one statement that connects each of the messages in our series. I can't wait to introduce the one next week as we jump into our Freedom and Fruit series on a step-by-step look through the book of Galatians. But this one is this, we are destined for more than we have become. We are destined for more than we have become. And as we've looked at this, we've realized that we weren't just destined to be secure. We were destined to live by faith. And we weren't just destined to accumulate possessions. We were destined to influence, impact, and build relationships with people. We weren't just destined uh, to be happy. 
We were destined for joy, something that eclipses the circumstances that we're facing on the day-to-day, something that doesn't wane or give way to what's going on in our lives, something that is much bigger and larger, something that can overcome difficult times and hardships. And we've realized that we've painted sort of two pictures of life. And one is this beautiful picture of sort of the American dream. You have a lot and maybe you have that perfect gaming rig if you're a gamer like me and you want that perfect gaming rig. Or maybe you have that super awesome car. Maybe you're in the stage of life where you're looking for a house and you're hoping you can afford something. And if you're a first-time house buyer like we were, you realize that you can't really afford what you were hoping that you were going to be able to afford. And you're dreaming of more money to have the bigger house and filling it with more stuff and and we look at other people in our lives and in, 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 in culture, like we would look up to celebrities and in, in gaming world, we look up to really popular streamers and professional gamers and, and we want what they have. But we've realized something through the series and that is that there's something more to life. And we've painted this beautiful picture of a life that's lived by faith, that's content with plenty or in want, that lives at peace with everybody, that doesn't just try to accumulate stuff, but they actually invest their lives in other human beings and have deep, meaningful, healthy, and life-giving relationships. I think these are things that if we're honest, deep down, we all long for. And tonight, we're going to be wrapping up that series by talking about something that's near and dear to my heart. And I think maybe the hardest thing and most convicting thing for me and anybody from a first world country to talk about. And that is the concept of comfort. The concept of comfort. And tonight, we're going to be making a simple point, And that is that calling is greater than comfort. Comfort for me is so important. I mean, honestly, in my life, many of us could probably consider ourselves creatures of comfort. I don't know about you, but I really love being comfortable. In fact, give me a five in chat. That's like a, a raise your hand if you love to be comfortable, if you just love to be in that sweet, comfy place. For me, one of my most comfortable places is my gaming room. That is where I kind of feel at peace. I slide my headphones on, I boot up my PC, I'm surrounded by my monitors, and I just get to sort of slide into this really calming place where I get the game. But for us, in 2020, it was something a little different. I had my gaming room, but in 2020, we bought what is probably the most comfortable thing my family has ever owned, because my wife is also definitely a creature of comfort. I'm, I'm not alone in that. Um, see, when we got married, we bought a couch, and it was a terrible couch. It was from a local place, and it was garbage. And, you know, within a short amount of time, the wood in it began breaking, and the springs you began feeling, and it was terrible. No one wanted to sit in it. You sunk really far down, and... It was the only couch that we had because it's what we could afford. And for a while, we had been talking about buying a new couch, but we couldn't afford a new couch. One day we were over at my folks' place and my brother gave me a call and he let me know. He works at Costco. In fact, if you didn't get a chance, we, we streamed with him not long ago. A lot of people, Star Fox, big fives in chat right now saying they lay our creature of comfort. Jen Lutz, I'm definitely a creature of comfort. So am I, Beggy Man. A lot of people in there. Song Stitcher, a creature of comfort. Love it. Love how many of you guys are willing to acknowledge that you love to be comfortable. So anyway, we had this horribly uncomfortable couch. And my brother works at Costco, so he gives me a ring. It's like, Mark... We have this couch, it's a floor model, it's going away, it's really great. And so we jumped in my dad's pickup truck and we went out and checked it out. And sure enough, this big, beautiful sectional couch, with this giant ottoman. And uh, I think they call him a chase, a chase, like the chase piece. I don't, 
that's probably not how you pronounce it, but it was awesome. It was this giant couch and it was, the price was just right, right? And I was like, let's do it. Let's get this new couch. So we jettisoned my old couch, which I wanted to burn in a thousand fires. And um, we got, we, we ended up selling it to someone who was getting their first apartment. I jokes on them. The couch is terrible. They sat on it for like one second. They're like, this is comfy. I'm like, that's because you weren't on it for, if you were on it for more than 60 seconds, you would have hated it. Um, but it was 20 bucks. So they'll get over it. Anyway, so we got this new couch. We got it into our house and we call it like the bed couch because it's humongous. It's just this giant, enormous couch. I, I feel like I have more room to spread out on the couch when I get put down there to sleep because my daughter ends up in bed with my wife than I do in my own bed sometimes. Like it's awesome. We say it's the best thing that happened to us in all of 2020. And if you bought a sectional couch and you went through 2020, it's probably the best thing that happened to you in 2020 as well. Outside of Lux, of course, because we started working on Lux in 2020. Anyway, we're creatures of comfort. I love in the evening, I, I sort of have a routine, right? I eat dinner. I eat something sweet. I make myself a cup of coffee. We get the kids to bed and I slide on into the couch and my wife and I turn on the TV to watch something on Disney+. Plus. I have my coffee there sitting next to me at my particular spot at the end of the couch right next to the big coffee table. My wife gets the big comfy blanket and, and my wife is like a creature of comfort to the nth degree. She's always buying new comfortable clothes. It's like she goes out to get new clothes for herself and comes back with more comfy clothes <laughs> like don't you own enough and and she swears in fact when we were in canada a couple of years ago for our first anniversary we went to a roots store and she will swear that the sweatpants and roots are the most comfortable things on the planet and one of the things that she loves one of her favorite things in her wardrobe and so we are definitely creatures of comfort um, in our household at least but i've begun realizing something and the thing that i've begun realizing is that i am a creature of comfort but i also want to live a great story I, I want my story to be meaningful i want my life to have meaning and purpose and not that i need people to tell my story whenever i'm gone but i want to know that i've left a positive impact on the world that when i came into the world i left it better than whenever i entered it and for that to happen you have to live a good story. And the blessing of that is, is throughout the Bible, you'll realize that God is an expert narrator. He is an epic storyteller. The problem is not very often does a good story happen whenever you're comfortable. In fact, it almost never does. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. So I'm kind of a Lord of the Rings nerd and my wife is, and I know that's kind of dating myself because the movies are really old now. And like, you know, even some of the guys who are in the room now were like not born hardly, or maybe not born whenever Lord of the Rings first came out. But I was in like seventh and eighth grade and I love, love, love Lord of the Rings. And in Lord of the Rings, just if you don't know what it is, I'm sorry, there's these really short people named hobbits and they live in a little town in an area called the Shire. And in the Shire, the hobbits are like the quintessential creature of comfort. All they care about is gardening and eating and smoking uh, smoking tobacco. That's, that's it. That's all that they care about. And that's their entire lives. And the narration of the story starts in the Shire with the hobbits. And in Lord of the Rings, that's where we begin with a character named Frodo and his uncle Bilbo, and they are creatures of comfort. Now, pretty soon, because of the ring of power and the desire to get it to Mount Doom and destroy it, our, our hobbits, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, end up being propelled into an epic narrative that will take them across Middle-earth into the top of a mountain of doom, all of those things going on. But what if that's not what Lord of the Rings was about? What if Frodo and Sam left Hobbiton and they went out on their adventure and the camera zoomed out and 
and we quit following them and we zoomed in on a rather plump hobbit who sat at the front of his house and gardened and smoked his pipe every day. And that was it. It was just two hours and the extended version was three hours of watching this hobbit be comfortable. It wouldn't be a particularly good movie. No one would want to watch it because there's nothing compelling about watching somebody be comfortable. We all know that great stories happen outside of our comfort zones. In fact, comfort has more to do with just our clothing and the thing that we're sitting on. Comfort has to do with what we feel comfortable with. The people that we feel comfortable with, the places we feel comfortable going, and the situations that we feel comfortable making decisions in. And so we all know when we've exited our comfort zone. A more modern telling of this is uh, the Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame, and it could be a spoiler, but if you haven't watched it throughout COVID, you're probably never going to watch it. So just get over it. And uh, for so for Avengers Endgame, sort of in the beginning, Tony Stark, who's Iron Man, and if you don't know that, how could you not, um, is, is uh, hiding out in a cabin, sort of secluded away with his wife and his daughter. And, uh, and the Avengers come to him and they ask for his help because they're trying to crack the code. By the way, give me a five in chat. If you love Avengers Endgame, because it's it's amazing, it's amazing. Um, anyway, so he's he's they they go to Tony Stark and they ask him to come and break the time the the code for being able to teleport through time, and he turns them down. He turns them down. He has too much to risk. There, there's too much to give up to be compelled into this new narrative. He has his wife and his daughter that he's trying to protect. After uh, after um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna call him Ultron. Gregory, what's his name? Uh, Thanos uh, clicks his fingers and destroys 50% of the things on Earth. Tony Stark counts himself as lucky to be alive and refuses to be compelled into the story. Now, if that's where the story ended, which it doesn't, he cracks the code for time travel and he gets thrusted into the story. And we have this epic, epic story that often revolves entirely around Tony. But what if Tony had decided to remain comfortable? What if he decided not to take risk? What if he decided not to have faith? What if he was never compelled into the story at all? What if he stuck exactly where he was? Well, it wouldn't be much of a story at all. Because stories and epic tales happen outside of our comfort zone. Epic stories. Calling. And the story that God wants to weave in your life won't happen where you're comfortable. Because comfortable stories simply aren't compelling. Imagine a story that was just me getting into flannel jams and sitting on my couch and watching all nine seasons of The Office yet again. I might enjoy that, but you certainly aren't going to be compelled by it because compelling things rarely, if ever, happen inside of comfort. And God consistently calls us outside of comfort. Let me give you an example of a time that we were called out of comfort. Back uh, shortly after my wife and I were married, uh, within our first year, we decided to go on a local or a, an overseas mission trip to the nation of Haiti. And uh, Haiti was so far outside of our comfort zone. Neither of us had ever been on a, a mission trip like that before. We'd never really been out of the country doing that sort of thing. And so even after years of ministry and working in a church, it was fresh and it was new to me. And we were nervous and excited. But we got out of the airplane and we walked into the airport in Haiti into sweltering heat and, and yelling voices and languages that we didn't understand and the overwhelming smell of raw sewage. And we knew instantly that we were out of our comfort zone. 
we got crowded out of the out of the airport and into a big bus that uh, really didn't work. The air conditioning was busted. The windows couldn't go down. It was insanely hot inside of it. We all piled in and got our gear in there and we headed north on the bus. And, and this bus was like traveling through riverbeds because uh, the earthquake that had, had like destroyed the country had knocked down all the bridges and we're driving through the jungle and we broke down three times. And what was supposed to be a couple hour jaunt north to where we were supposed to be staying ended up being nine hours stuck in inside a bus that we couldn't escape. But that was only the beginning of being outside of comfort. In the 10 days that we were there, we never escaped the heat. There was never air conditioning. In the 10 days that we were there, we never sat on something soft. There was not a pillow to be found, not a cushion, just cement. I remember one of the days that we went out into the community and we stepped into this corrugated metal room. It was like a shack, but it was large. And off on the sides of the shack were these separate rooms. Each of them had a small doorway with a ratty sheet or blanket that was separating these smaller rooms from the central room. And each of those smaller rooms had an had a old mattress laying on the ground. And it was a brothel. It was, it was a place where women, where prostitutes lived. And as men would come in and women would turn tricks, all of their kids would huddle in the middle of the central room and play with trash. Uh, only a flea-bitten mattress and a moth-destroyed sheet between them and their mother. I remember getting on the backs of Haitian men as we had to go get on a boat to sail to a small island while we were there, and they wouldn't let us walk in the water because the trash and the glass and the raw sewage flowed directly from the city into the ocean. Maybe one of the scariest moments for me is when we went to a Haitian prison to pray with the inmates. We showed up in a room that was half or less the size of our studio. And there was a series of cells and each one was stacked full of men. It baked, the, the, the sun baked the sides of, of this cement block structure like a kiln. And people baked in it. Over 100, 120 degrees. There were so many men that were packed in to these cells with, with no privacy, no walls, just an empty room with a cell door at the front. They couldn't even all lay down at the same time to sleep. They had to sleep in shifts. Many of those men weren't just in a holding cell. They had been placed in prison over a year ago. And because of the bureaucracy of the country and the fact that you are guilty until proven innocent, they had been sitting in a cell awaiting a court date to even find out if they had done anything wrong for over a year. Some of those men had been inside that same cell for a decade because of some small offense. I remember visiting the women's section and one of the women there had been punished for the crimes of her husband. Her husband had kidnapped somebody and left the island and she was serving a lifetime sentence in a Haitian prison for something that her husband had done. I remember being in that place and never feeling less comfortable. I remember being so far outside of what I had perceived to be a comfort zone. It was like a hellscape. And, and there were people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who lived in this hellscape every single day. And it's been the same in almost every third world country I've gone to, although Haiti was the worst. It was so far outside of our comfort zone. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. 
I remember coming home from Haiti. It was an awkward ride home. We got upgraded to first class on the airplane, which was amazing. And it was awkward because I'd accidentally pooped my pants in the Haitian airport right before we got on the plane because I was so sick from eating the disgusting Haitian food. And uh, so we got on the plane, we flew home. And I remember coming home and getting in the shower and then climbing into our bed. And the feeling of the comfort of our bed. I I hadn't sat on something soft in 12 days. And the feeling of our bed and that first night of sleep because because we had slept in hammocks that were hanging outside to get a little bit of relief from the heat because all day the sun would bake the compound and then at night the heat would radiate off the cement blocks and you would just be in the sweltering heat and you would just sweat and sweat and sweat so we slept outside and and these fleas had gotten into my hammock and i was bitten 300 bites all over my back and I, I remember really distinctly, and we'll go back just real quick. There was a, a kid's home there for kids with disabilities or club feet. And there was a young boy there who had a disease that, didn't, that prevented him from growing. So he looked like he was about two or one and a half, but he was actually over 10. And because of the education inside the villages, the parents of this young boy had taken him to a voodoo witch doctor in order for a cure. And they had convinced their parents, that there was an evil spirit that lived in him. And the only way to relieve the child of the spirit and to help him to grow was to cut him. And so they cut him head to toe for years. Not knowing any better, they tortured this little boy. And now he laid inside of this center for kids that had been rejected or thrown out or left to die by their parents, not sure of what to do and how to take care of them. And this orphanage had taken them in and taken care of them. I was so far outside of what was comfortable. But that's where God really interacts with us. Very rarely does God interact with us inside of comfort. And Jesus actually knew this. In fact, there was a point in time when there was a man who came up to Jesus and asked him about following him. And Jesus' response is is absolutely astounding. We're going to take a look at it right now. And it's from uh, the book of uh, Matthew chapter 8. It says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This religious teacher wanted to follow Jesus. He actually wanted to learn from him. He wanted to be one of his disciples. He said, I will follow you wherever it is that you go. It's a powerful statement and an important one. And Jesus' response was always shocking to me. Because I was like, why wouldn't you just accept him? Why wouldn't you just embrace him? He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Why don't you just say, well, come along then. Well, the reality is that Jesus, being God, knew the condition of a person's heart. He knew the inner workings and what was going on. And more importantly, he knows the inner motivations of why we do what we do, which might be the scariest thing about an all-powerful and all-knowing God is his ability to actually know our inner motivations, the thoughts that we have in our head that we don't utter to anybody else and we're afraid to admit to, even ourselves. God knows about those things. And so he knew about what was going on in this man's head. And, and so as I thought about that, I was like, well, maybe it was one of two things. M- maybe this man thought indeed that following Jesus would be a comfortable experience. 
He saw that he was gathering a giant crowd around him. Maybe he thought it was a quick chance for a little bit of fame and fortune. Uh, maybe he really did want to be compelled into the awesome narrative that Jesus was telling. But Jesus knew that his, hearts was, his heart was still connected to his possessions, still connected to the brick and mortar building that he lived in. Maybe he knew that his heart was too connected to comfort to be able to be compelled and pushed into calling. He knew that this man just desired to be comfortable more than he did desire to be called. Or maybe there was something else. Maybe this man really believed what all of the Jews said, which was that Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans. Maybe he believed that Jesus was going to sit on the throne of David. Maybe he believed that he was the Messiah. Maybe he believed Israel was coming into its own again, becoming a superpower again. And he thought, maybe if I tie my hands with this guy, maybe if I bind myself to him, one day when he sits on his throne, I will have a comfortable and sort of a privileged position as one of the people who were loyal to him from early on. When he takes the throne of Israel, I will be one of his advisors. Or I'll be one of his friends. Either way, no matter what he thought, Jesus is very blunt with him and says, no, you don't understand. Following me, being pulled into my narrative, being pulled into the story that I have to tell with your life isn't a place of comfort. I have no place to lay my head. I have no place to go at night. There's no roof over me. I'm willing to sacrifice comfort to be pulled into the calling that God has for my life. Are you? I think it's a question that he leaves with us. In fact, there are many men throughout history and women throughout history who have been so compelled by calling that they have abandoned comfort in order to chase after God. And they are the epic stories that we tell and retell. One of those is a man named Daniel. He was featured in the Old Testament. Daniel lived during the time of the Babylonian exile, which literally means the Babylonian Empire conquered the nation of Israel, slaughtered most of the people in Jerusalem. The ones they didn't slaughter, they took its slaves back to Babylon, and Daniel was one of the slaves. He was a royal son inside of one of the noble families inside of Jerusalem. They took him because he was educated, and they shipped him back. He lived in Babylon and he served all of his days until he rose to be one of the key advisors to the king of Babylon himself. He had every bit of comfort at his fingertips. He could have taken anything that he wanted because Babylon was the most powerful nation in the world. He was second to none other than the king of Babylon himself. He was one of the most trusted advisors and oversaw the capital itself. He had all of pleasure at his fingertips, yet he continued to serve God to the point that he was threatened that he would be killed if he didn't bow down and worship the Babylonian gods. But he chose not to. Instead, he chose to continue to worship God, even though that was well outside of his comfort zone, and even though that would risk his life. And it landed him thrown into a den full of hungry lions. God rescued him in that moment and called him into something new. Or perhaps we could look at the life of a man named Peter, a man who was very close to Jesus when he was on earth, a man who is known for his radical ups and downs, a man who started the first church. A man who all of the popes of the Roman Catholic Church traced their lineage back to. This man was on a boat. And when Jesus came walking on water, the Bible tells us, he called to Peter and he said, come out of the boat and walk to me. And I'm confident that getting out of the boat wasn't the most comfortable thing that he could have done. But he was more compelled by calling than he was compelled by comfort. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked to Jesus. And for a short time, he too walked on water. Or maybe one of the most compelling stories of all doesn't come from the Bible, but it comes from the history of faith in the church. And it's a man named Polycarp. 
Now, Polycarp A is a freaking crazy awesome name. However, Polycarp was one of the church fathers. Polycarp was discipled, we believe, by John himself, Jesus' best friend, and the only disciple that didn't die as a martyr. He died in exile. Polycarp served most of his life in the church and served Jesus. The Romans didn't like him and they wanted to have him killed or at least have him denounce the faith. And so they had cornered him in a specific village and they were going to go and find him and arrest him. And the Christians at the time of the church tried to urge Polycarp to leave, but he refused to abandon the church. And instead, the Romans found him and arrested him at a ripe old age. At trial, they told him all he needed to do was denounce that Jesus was Lord. And he refused. Instead, Polycarp is recorded as saying this. Eighty and six years have I served him, meaning Jesus. And he never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Shortly after Polycarp, Poly, Polycarp was burnt at the stake, in front of an audience. And in that horrific and gruesome death, it said that he sang songs of praise and worship, never screaming or yelling, and praying for forgiveness for his torturers and executors until his dying breath. These are the epic stories and narratives that God has told in the past, and he wants to continue to. But we can't be compelled into an amazing story and we can't step in to the calling that God has on your life or on my life while we remain always comfortable. Calling exists outside of our comfort zone. And so maybe for you tonight, that's starting an online relationship. Maybe that's not comfortable for you. Maybe you've been attending church, but you have no clue how to actually engage with people online in a way that's meaningful. To be honest with you, neither did I. A little over a year ago, I started developing online relationships with people all over the globe, and it wasn't comfortable. Most of the times, it was awkward. And at first, when you stop by Discord and hang out in the post-show room or stop by and ask for prayer, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be outside of what's comfortable for you. And maybe that's part of your story. Maybe it's stepping deeper into what's going on here at Lux and building some relationships. Or maybe God has been working on something else in your life and you know it. And you know he's been compelling you and he's been pushing you. But you're just not willing to let go of what's comfortable and what's secure. What would your life look like if you stopped bowing down, serving, and seeking comfort? And instead, with your waking moments, chose to pursue the calling that God wrote for you before he laid the foundations of the earth. Let me just be honest with you. The church is not very compelling. When people outside the church look at the church, they don't see people who want to seek and serve and love Jesus. They see people who want to hate others and tell people what to do. It's just the truth. And it's largely because we're more concerned with people acting like us, believing like us, and voting like us than we are concerned with actually living out the epic narrative and story that God has prepared for us because it's too outside of comfort. I'm telling you now, if the church will ever be compelling to an unbelieving lost world, a world that's bound for damnation, we have to get out of our own way. The rest of the world serves comfort as a God. 
And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have to actually look something like him. In fact, if you had someone who called themselves a Steelers fan, which I'm not, but let's say someone called themselves a Steelers fan, but they never went to any games, they never watched any games, they didn't own any jerseys, and they actively rooted for the Baltimore Ravens, would you call them a Steelers fan? Even if they said, I'm a fan of the Steelers. Well, no, you wouldn't. Because there would be no evidence in their life to show that they are indeed a Steelers fan. So if you simply go to church and call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but your life looks nothing like his, there's nothing compelling about it, there's nothing going on in your life that would speak to the faith that you have, can we or should we really call ourselves followers of Jesus? If we say that we are, but our life looks nothing like him, it's not marked by the love that he had for others, for God, his father, and for other humans, can we really call ourselves the church? I don't think that we can. The church is not a church just in name. The church is the church because it's a group of people connected together and a tight-knit community devoted to following Jesus. I'll just give you a heads up. I think from the words of Jesus, I don't think that you can follow Jesus and remain comfortable. I think every time we step in faith, it's typically ridiculously uncomfortable. So I would just ask you to examine your life. Look at it and say, at which points in my life am I really compelled by the truth of Jesus into the uncomfortable, outside of my comfort zone? Where in my life can I point to and say that God has indeed brought me out of comfortable and into calling? If you want to know what God's will is for your life, I encourage you to take place in the Bible, take part of the Bible study that we're going to be starting on Monday. But you can read the Bible and learn about God's calling on your life, and it will be important and it will be helpful. But you're never going to live into God's calling for your life if we continue to stay deathly committed to comfort. And that brings us to our next step this week. Our next step this week is... I don't know what it is because I can't see it on my iPad. Can you throw it up there, Shabes? The next step this week is I will leave comfort for calling this week. I will leave comfort for calling this week. My prayer for us at Lux is that throughout this whole series, we've painted a picture of a life that's lived differently. It's more compelling. That's more life-giving. That's more fulfilling. It's harder. Definitely harder. But definitely better. And I pray that you will take a step into the counterintuitive and countercultural teachings of Jesus with me as we step into Galatians and the teachings of Paul and we learn more and more about what it means to truly follow this man named Jesus together. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you. I pray right now that you would be with us. I'm sure there's some people in the chat right now who are feeling convicted because I'm feeling convicted and I'm preaching it. So uh, I pray for those who are feeling convicted. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit brings conviction, but the enemy brings with it guilt. So I come against anybody who's feeling guilty and I encourage and embrace anyone who's feeling convicted. Help us, Father. We want to live a narrative that's worth telling. We want to live a story that's epic. We don't want to live our life sitting on our couch every day, binge watching more shows. We want something that's truly going to matter to come out of our lives, but we can't do those things if we serve first the ideal and the God of comfort. Help us, Father, to forsake comfort where it's necessary and step in to the calling that you have on our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.